Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program and we're in chapter 14 of this book titled Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. This chapter is titled Cultivating Healthy Mental States, Loving Kindness, Compassion, Sympathetic Joy, and Equanimity. Here you're going to learn about these four healthy mental states that you can cultivate in order to eliminate specific symptoms in the mind. This is where the Buddha gets the reputation oftentimes of being like a doctor, where there's certain symptoms in the mind, and then he provides a certain prescription in order to antidote that particular symptom. Well, the Buddha is oftentimes referred to that way, but through learning and understanding these four healthy mental states, you can be your own doctor. And that's what you're going to ultimately need to do in order to move the mind to this enlightened mental state where you understand certain symptoms that are unwholesome in the mind, and then you know the antidote the prescription to apply in order to arise the wholesome mental states. So I'm going to be sharing with you content from chapter 14. And remember, you can get these books from downloading them from our website, buddhadailywisdom.com. You can get them for free. You can take it and go print it. You can order printed versions on Amazon, or you can get printed versions here at the temple in Chiang Mai. So as we go in our class today, you're welcome to ask any and all questions as I share this content with you. You can ask questions in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom by putting your questions in the comment section. Or in Zoom, you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. I'm going to use some visual aids to help me share this content with you. And then as I mentioned, as we go, feel free to ask any and all questions. So I'd like to welcome you to our class today and share with you that what I'm going to be teaching you, I refer to as cultivating healthy mental states, but you will oftentimes hear people refer to this as the Brahma Viharas. The history of this word Brahma Vihara is that during the lifetime of the Buddha, there were what was called Brahmin priests. And these Brahmin priests, today we might just consider them Hindu priests. And these Brahmins were doing rites, rituals, ceremonies, worship. They were praying to God. The thought was that if people came to these Brahmin and paid them money, they would do a rite, ritual, ceremony, and worship on those people's behalf, and then their life was supposed to get better. But the Buddha understood that this wasn't actually true, that this doesn't actually work, because he understood this cause and effect or action and result, the natural law of gamma. But nonetheless, these Brahmin priests were very popular during the lifetime of the Buddha, and a lot of people were convinced that they couldn't pray to God, that they needed to go to this special class of people that they would then pay money to, and then they would go home, and this person was supposed to then pray or do some kind of rite or ritual or ceremony or worship, and their life was supposed to get better. 
So the Buddha taught this natural law of gamma and how to train the mind and how to move the mind to this enlightened mental state where you start to understand the natural law of gamma of cause and effect and you can cultivate wisdom to make wise decisions on your own that then produces wholesome results in your life. That you're not dependent on this group of people to do something for you because this oftentimes bred corruption. That sometimes people would come Maybe it was one price, maybe $5 today, but maybe tomorrow they would charge 10 or 15 or $20 for the same thing. And these people felt like they were stuck and locked in because they were taught that they couldn't actually improve their life, that they were reliant and dependent on this group of people to perform these kind of ceremonies. So this word Brahma Vihara, where it comes from, is these are teachings that these Brahmin priests were actually sharing. And the Buddha incorporates them into his teachings because the Buddha developed this entire package of teachings that could be shared in such a way that would liberate your mind. But there were certain teachings like the natural law of gamma that was already being taught during the lifetime of the Buddha, just like the Brahma Viharas were already being taught during the lifetime of the Buddha and before him. But when he brought it into his teachings, he brought such a clarity to it that then people could understand it and practice it to be able to see the real results of this enlightened mind. So the Brahmin priests, while they were doing rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship, they were also teaching a little bit of moral conduct. And they were teaching about loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. And they refer to it as Brahma Viharas because the word Brahma during the lifetime of the Buddha means God and Vihara means abode or dwelling. So the Brahmin priests were teaching these four healthy mental states as a way to dwell with God or be with God. This isn't the way that the Buddha presented it. He didn't teach it that way. He taught about God, but he didn't make God a central role in his teachings because God's not the one who determines whether you attain enlightenment or not. It's based on your individual decisions. But during the lifetime of the Buddha, there was belief in multiple gods. So people sometimes refer to these as Brahma Viharas or the Brahma Viharas. So you understand where the origin of that word Brahma Vihara comes from. But I refer to them as the four healthy mental states. And that's what I'm going to help you learn because by learning what these mental states are and the solutions that they're applying in terms of remedying certain unwholesome qualities in the mind, you can actually apply these particular mental states and actually help to remedy and provide solutions to specific issues that you're having in the mind in the unenlightened state. So I'm going to teach you what each quality is. I'm going to teach you what it remedies, and I'm going to teach you how to cultivate it in the mind so that you can then practice it on a daily basis, because that's where you're really going to see the real results in developing your life practice. It's one thing to learn intellectually, but it's another thing to start reflecting on the teachings and seeing the truth in them, and then a whole nother thing to start practicing the teachings, and that's where the real transformation of the mind is occurring. So I'm going to help you do the intellectual learning learning and the reflection so you can see the truth of how these healthy mental states are antidoting certain symptoms in the mind, but then you're going to need to apply them in practice to see the real results. So this first healthy mental state is called loving kindness. Some people might refer to this as metta. Metta is the Pali word. I teach in all English except for two words. There's still two words in Pali that I still need to use, which are the jhanas and 
gama. These are two words that don't translate to just one English word. So here I use all English, but you might hear some people refer to this as meta. So I share that with you and I share that in the book so that as you're talking with people from various communities, if they're using the word meta, you'll know what they're referring to, which is this mental quality of loving kindness. What loving kindness is, is active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. It's a genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. This is how you antidote anger, hatred, ill will, and those lesser versions like irritation, annoyance, agitation, animosity, bitterness, resentfulness. By the time you get to enlightenment, you don't even have the slightest dislike in the mind. When there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind, where there's certain things that you want and expect and you're longing and yearning for, when somebody does those types of things, you might get happy or excited or elated about the fact that you're around people that maybe agree with you and do the things that you do. But when you have certain cravings and people do things that you disagree with, you might get angry or annoyed or frustrated or irritated, or you might just have dislike towards somebody. But by the time you fully cultivate loving kindness in the mind, you won't even have the slightest dislike towards other beings in no way whatsoever. You will have this loving kindness or this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. The reason why I include without judgment in this particular definition is because oftentimes people are taught to not practice certain wholesome qualities until you see other people practicing certain wholesome qualities. You might have been taught don't respect others until others respect you first. Well, if you've been taught this way, you might be holding back your respect or holding back your politeness or holding back your loving kindness, looking to make sure other people are practicing that first before you decide to be respectful or you decide to be loving and kind. Well, if everybody in the world was practicing that I'm not going to respect you until you respect me, and then somebody else is saying, well, I'm not going to respect you until you respect me, then the whole world is kind of locked in this logjam and nobody's respecting anybody. So what you're doing in order to get to this enlightened mental state is you're not conforming to what the world is doing. This murky water of the world, you're trying to rise above that and bloom like a lotus flower by growing this strong stalk, which is your life practice. So while other people might be holding back and choosing not to show loving kindness or choosing not to respect others, for whatever reasons, maybe because they've been taught to not respect others until those people respect you, it's important for you to understand what you're looking to do in order to get to enlightenment is break through all of that. While other people might be conforming to what society is doing and conforming to certain false beliefs or misperceptions or misunderstandings, you're looking to cultivate wisdom and see what will be wise and how you need to practice in order to break through and get to this enlightened mental state. So if you practice loving kindness without judgment, it means that you're not judging the other person to decide whether they deserve your genuine interest in seeing them be well or the goodwill that you're practicing. You're not looking at others and trying to determine whether or not they deserve you to be practicing this or not, trying to determine if they're above you or below you or anything like this. Instead, just with all beings, you're being loving and kind without any expectation that they should also be loving and kind with you because not everyone's going to be loving and kind with you. But if you 
only practice loving kindness when other people are loving and kind, that means your mind hasn't fully cultivated loving kindness. You're practicing loving kindness with judgment. There's an expectation in there of something you're wanting, but that's not what you're interested in doing. In order to fully practice loving kindness, you would like to have this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well without judgment. You're practicing goodwill. And this is antidoting any kind of anger, hatred, ill will, any kind of bitterness or hostility, resentment. It even helps you to eliminate your own negative self-talk. If you have negative self-talk in your mind and you don't have loving kindness for this being who you are right now, by practicing loving kindness and learning how to cultivate that in the mind, you can eliminate the negative self-talk that's in the mind and start having a more loving relationship with yourself where you're not degrading and diminishing and deflating to yourself. Instead, you can have this loving and caring relationship with yourself and then you'll be able to do that with others as well. So this is eliminating those unwholesome qualities where the mind is frustrated and agitated and annoyed and irritated with other beings. The way that you accomplish cultivating this in the mind is you use loving kindness meditation. This is a specific type of meditation that you're doing in order to cultivate this loving kindness and bring it up into the mind. And then as you're cultivating this in meditation, you then would like to practice it in daily life through your intentions, your speech, and your actions. That's where the real transformation is truly occurring. So the meditation is there almost like filling up your gas tank so that then when you go out into the world, you can be more loving and kind. I teach this meditation as part of our group learning program and other various courses and retreats that I teach where you sit in meditation doing some breathing mindfulness meditation first, focusing on the breath, but then you do these affirmations. And the affirmations that you do, you start with yourself. You think in the mind, may I be peaceful. And you do that on the out breath. And then as you breathe in on your next out breath, you think in the mind with the affirmation, may I be safe. And then you breathe in. And then on the next affirmation, may I be well. And then finally, the last affirmation is, may I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. This is essentially rewiring the mind to be loving and kind towards this being who you are now. You need to start with loving kindness for yourself. Then you create these successively wider and wider rings until you ultimately get to all beings. These successively wider and wider rings, some ways that people like to structure this is they start with maybe two rings or so of people that you already have loving kindness for. Maybe your parents or your siblings or your life partner or your children. You include them in your meditation. You might say, may mom and dad be peaceful. In the mind, you're doing this quietly. Or if it's your life partner or your children, you might actually name them with their actual name. And you go through all four statements and then you go wider and wider and wider and make wider rings. So after you do a couple of rings of people that you have loving kindness for, you then go to rings that you're more neutral about. Maybe some coworkers, some neighbors. You don't hate them, but you don't exactly love them either. You don't have this overwhelming interest in seeing them be well. You don't have this genuine interest in seeing them be well and have active goodwill towards them. So you might put 
two rings of those types of individuals in there. But then ultimately you would like to get to some rings of individuals that you do have anger towards, you do have hatred towards, you do have resentment towards, or you do have dislike. It may be people that are currently in your life or it may be people who are long in the past. They might even be dead. If your mind is holding on to anger and hatred and thinking that you're somehow getting back at this person and this is how you're gonna teach them a lesson by holding on to your anger, it's actually not helping you at all. It's not hurting that other person even. This philosophy or this thought of holding on to anger in order to hurt somebody else, it's like holding a hot coal in your hand and trying to burn somebody else. The only person that's getting burned is you. So by holding on to resentment and animosity, even if people are long in the past and you'll never see them again, this is only plaguing your mind. Your mind's holding on to this ill will and now it's gonna come out towards other individuals during your daily life. So you would like to liberate your mind and get freedom from this ill will, this anger, this bitterness and hostility that's in the mind. So it's this meditation that allows you to be able to do that. And ultimately, as you go through all these various affirmations, you eventually get to all beings where you don't leave anybody out. You might say, may all beings be peaceful. May all beings be safe. May all beings be well and free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. You do this very slowly on the out breath. You can see recordings where I've done this before, or you can attend classes on Wednesdays where I do loving kindness meditation with students. So you can learn this loving kindness meditation and incorporate it into your practice because you're gonna to need to build up your meditation practice to two or three meditations per day for 30 minutes or more. And oftentimes this takes six months, a year or two years to be able to build up to that. So wherever you are now, you just start there but gradually build up to the point where you're practicing two or three meditations per day for 30 minutes or more. And out of the two or three meditations, you'd like at least one of them to be loving kindness meditation. And I usually suggest for students to make their morning meditation to be loving kindness, because then it kind of prepares the mind to go out in the world and be loving and kind with the people around you. That's where the real transformation is happening, where through your intentions, your speech and your actions, from the Eightfold Path that I taught previously in this program, you can learn to be loving and kind through the natural law of gamma, where the Buddha is teaching you how to have right intention, right speech, and right action based on this natural law. Because as long as you put anger and hatred and hostility and animosity out, that's what's gonna come back to you. So you would like to get to the point where you're able to practice being loving and kind in all situations. When I was growing up, I had a lot of resentment towards my mom because of certain things that happened in my childhood. When I was growing up, there was all kinds of hostility and bitterness in our family. And our relationship all throughout my childhood and my early adulthood was very hostile and it was very difficult. And every time my mom and I would be around each other, it was only a matter of time before something exploded and we would be bitter and harsh and hostile with each other. So I started doing this meditation and training my mind to cultivate this loving kindness. And each day as I did this meditation, it helped to transform the mind, but then I needed to transform my intentions, my speech, and my actions when I was around her. So rather than continuing to be bitter and harsh and hostile, 
I changed the mind so that then I could interact with her in different ways through my intentions, my speech, and my actions. Where in the past, if mom would pick up a rubber ball of anger and hatred and throw it around the room, I would pick up that rubber ball and I'd throw it around the room too. And then she'd pick it up and throw it around and I'd pick it up and throw it around. And next thing you know, we've got this big explosion and a big argument and we'd be really angry at each other for a really long period of time. But when I started training my mind and cultivating the mind, this log jam that we found ourselves in, I started taking these logs out. I started taking the frustration out, the anger out, the resentment. I started removing this out of the mind so that now things could flow more. And now when we were around each other, if mom picked up the ball of anger or something else and threw that around, I would just watch it roll to the corner. Where in the past, I would be bitter and harsh and hostile back to her. I chose not to do that anymore. So if we were talking on the phone and she was saying something bitter and harsh and hostile, where in the past I would be bitter and harsh and hostile right back, instead I would choose to be loving and kind. And I would just pause and I would say, mom, I'm gonna get off the phone now and let you think about what it is that you just shared. I realize that in the past I've been bitter and harsh and hostile with you, but I'm choosing to no longer do that. I value our relationship too much in order to be bitter and harsh and hostile with you. So I'm gonna get off the phone and let you think about what it is that you just said and then we can talk another time. And then I would say, I love you, mom. And I would get off the phone with her. And sometimes I would wait three months or six months before we'd have another conversation. And each time I did this with her, as we would come back together, she would be a bit more loving, a bit more kind, a bit more friendly, that by the time she died in 2017, there was no animosity, no bitterness or hostility between us. It had been many, many years of having a healthy relationship. But I had to do the work first. If I was going to sit around and be resentful that my mom was bitter and angry and hostile throughout my childhood and now in our adulthood, doing the same things of practicing anger and bitterness and hostility, I was just gonna get the same results. So I needed to make change to my mind. I needed to cultivate the mind with this loving kindness meditation and then start interacting with her in more loving and kind ways where in the past, if I was bitter and harsh and hostile, she'd be bitter and harsh and hostile right back. So you can't extinguish anger of another person by being angry yourself. If you're looking to improve your relationships and get to this point where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, which is the enlightened mind, where you no longer experience any anger or hostility, no sadness or frustration, no guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, all those discontent feelings that I talk about, you're gonna need to do some transformation of the mind. Because if you keep doing the same things that you have been doing, you're gonna get the same exact results. So what you can be doing to transform your mind is in addition to breathing mindfulness meditation is bring in the loving kindness meditation and now be dedicated to doing this on a regular basis. Because right now, when somebody is angry and bitter and harsh to you, Maybe you're used to going down this well-worn path of anger and bitterness and hostility. And maybe the grass is worn out. Maybe the stickers have been pushed back. Maybe the branches have been pushed back. And it's really easy for you to go down this path when somebody is bitter and harsh and hostile with you. But now what you're interested in doing, if you're looking to get to enlightenment and eliminate all this anger and sadness and all the other discontent feelings, is you need to forge this new path. You need to get out a machete and start breaking through the bushes and breaking through the stickers and work 
on this new path, rewiring the mind. And this can be a challenge. It can feel like a struggle sometimes. Your mind might really want to go down that old path. But you know where that old path leads, which is to broken relationships and difficulties and heartache and misery. When you allow yourself to get angry and bitter and harsh, you need to deal with that for many hours and maybe many days or a week or two that your mind is agitated. You need to deal with those discontent feelings. Whereas if you can train your mind and transform it to no longer do that by forging this new path, while this new path is challenging, ultimately this old path will get overgrown And by the time you start going down this new path and it gets more and more well-worn, you can get to the point where it's physically impossible for you to ever get angry. By the time you get to enlightenment and you eliminate the causes and conditions that are causing this anger to arise and all these other discontent feelings, it'll be physically impossible for your mind to experience frustration or irritation or agitation. So by doing this work, of cultivating the mind with loving kindness meditation and then practicing loving kindness in your intention, speech, and actions, that's how you actually accomplish it. And just because right now you might be experiencing the anger, the bitterness, and hostility, that's not permanent. You can transform that out of the mind if you apply the tools and techniques and understand how to do it. So the loving kindness meditation is there to proactively help you train your mind to be more loving and kind. And as you're practicing loving kindness meditation and you're practicing your intention, speech, and actions to be more loving and kind, you're not going to know each day how much of this anger that you're wearing away. But each day, if you stay dedicated and diligent to this loving kindness meditation, you will ultimately wear away all the anger, hatred, and ill will. You're not going to know how much you wear away each day, but when it's completely gone out of the mind, you're going to know that because it'll be one year, two years, three years that you haven't experienced any anger and you'll know that it's completely gone. So you're going to need to have a certain amount of determination, dedication, and diligence where if you expected that you're going to do this meditation once or you're going to do it for one week or you're going to do it for one month and miraculously the mind's going to be transformed that's not the way this meditation works it's a gradual training gradual practice and gradual progress and you need to gradually wear away the anger hatred and the will until ultimately the mind is fully transformed and you're able to then go out into the world and be more loving and kind with others It's just like a digging tool. If you had a digging tool where you were digging each day with this tool that has a wooden handle, you're going to be wearing away wood off of this handle every single day. But you're not going to know how much wood you're wearing away from this tool each time you're digging with it. But when this wooden handle of the tool is completely exhausted and you need to replace this tool, you're going to know that because this wooden handle each day you're wearing away a little bit of wood a little bit of wood a little bit of wood but you don't know how much wood you're wearing away but when the handle's completely exhausted you're going to know it's time to replace it the same thing is true with this meditation and when you're transforming the mind that you're not going to know how much of this anger and these other discontent feelings you're wearing away each individual day but when it's completely gone you'll know that because like for me i noticed that I was no longer angry and bitter and harsh with mom whatsoever. So you'll notice when it's completely gone. So by staying dedicated to the meditation and practicing through your intention, speech, and actions, you'll see this transformation. And this loving kindness meditation is something you can be doing on a proactive basis to proactively work towards eliminating the anger, hatred, and ill will. But then you're going to also need to practice 
right mindfulness and right effort from the Eightfold Path. This is something that I taught earlier in this program. And what right mindfulness is, is where you have awareness of mind. It really goes down into the four foundations of mindfulness, where you're aware of the bodily sensations, you're aware of the feelings, you're aware of the condition of the mind and the mental objects. But when you first start practicing right mindfulness, you might just think about it as awareness of mind. So if you have awareness of your mind and you're noticing that the mind's starting to become angry or frustrated or agitated or some other discontent feeling that is described here as part of the problem in the mind, then you can apply right effort to cut that off and eliminate it from the mind and then arise this loving kindness where you bring in this active goodwill towards all beings, this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. This is where you can see the symptom with your mindfulness and then with right effort, you can apply the antidote or the solution. This is where you're becoming your own doctor that it's not just the Buddha who can be described as a doctor who sees symptoms and then applies a prescription or an antidote, but you can be the very best doctor on your own if you're cultivating the mind. So with breathing mindfulness meditation, you're developing that mindfulness, that awareness of the mind, so that when you notice the bodily sensations associated with anger, and that's starting to arise, you're noticing tightening in the chest, pain in the heart, maybe tightening in the throat, maybe heat in your face or pressure in the skull. When you're starting to notice those bodily sensations, that's the bodily sensations of the four foundations of mindfulness that your mind is now cultivated this awareness of. These bodily sensations are an early warning system that's alerting you that, hey, you're about to get angry. You've got a few seconds here that you can take some action and you can preserve the mind and not allow the mind to get angry. Or if you don't catch it as a bodily sensation, your mind's going to become angry. So this is like an early warning system for you. You can redirect the mind and take it in another direction. You can cut that off and let it go. And if you're training the mind and breathing mindfulness meditation regularly, it'll get easier and easier for you to redirect the mind or cut it off and let it go internally. This isn't suppressing the thoughts or suppressing the feelings. Sometimes people think that's the case when I'm teaching this. You're not suppressing the feeling. What you're actually doing is you're catching it before it even becomes a feeling, when it's just a bodily sensation, and you're cutting it off and letting it go before it's even become a feeling. So you're preserving the mind and protecting the mind so that it never actually gets angry. Because if you miss it as a bodily sensation, it's then gonna become a feeling in the mind. And now you got a real problem to deal with. You can still cut it off there, but it's a lot more challenging than when it was a bodily sensation. If you don't cut it off as a bodily sensation and a feeling, it's then gonna start affecting the condition of the mind, where now you're gonna be angry for a few hours or a few days. Have you ever been angry for like a week or two or agitated for a week or two? Of course you have, right? So you're interested in eliminating that because the bodily sensations are gonna move into a feeling and then that feeling is gonna affect the condition of the mind. And now that is going to feed this mental object of anger, hatred, and ill will. So you can transform all of this by cultivating right mindfulness or awareness of mind and more specifically, those four foundations of mindfulness. And by being aware of those bodily sensations and cutting them off and letting them go there before it becomes a feeling, this is like if you were gonna take a boat from the US to England 
and you were trying to cross the ocean, you would like to prevent the water from ever coming into the boat. Because once the water comes into the boat, you've got a real problem to deal with. You've got to get rid of this water and you've got to get it out of the boat. But if you can prevent the water from ever coming into the boat, you've preserved your ability to safely travel from the US to England. So the same thing is true that if you can catch these bodily sensations sooner and sooner and cut them off and let them go, you'll preserve the mind and you can keep on going in your day where you can remain peaceful and remain joyful. And if you do this enough where you're meditating with breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, you're practicing mindfulness in your daily life and cutting off and letting go anytime any of these feelings are arising, and through your intention, speech, and actions, you're being loving and kind, you ultimately will get to the point where it's impossible for your mind to be angry. You've removed the causes and conditions that are producing this anger, and now your mind won't get angry anymore. You won't even notice the arising of bodily sensations associated with discontent feelings because there's no longer any causes and conditions in the mind. The pollution that is causing the mind to experience anger has been eradicated. So this is how you do this with loving kindness meditation. And I talked a little bit there about breathing mindfulness meditation because that's important as well. The breathing mindfulness meditation in generosity is helping to bring the cravings, desires, attachments down. We talked about this last week where the mind has this longing and yearning and chasing after the objects of its affection. If you get what you want, you get pleasant feelings. But if you don't get what you want, you get those painful feelings, those painful feelings like sadness, anger, frustration, and others. Well, by practicing loving kindness, meditation, and generosity, that's going to bring down your cravings, desires, attachments. So automatically, you're going to have less anger in the mind. But there is a pollution of mind called ill will, this deeply rooted mental object that needs to be broken up and uprooted and removed from the mind. So it's loving kindness meditation that's going to do that for you. And then practicing loving kindness through your intention, speech, and actions in daily life while you're supporting that with your right mindfulness to be able to identify when these unwholesome qualities are arising and then apply right effort to eliminate the unwholesome quality and cultivate the wholesome quality, bringing in the loving kindness. So anytime you see that the mind's angered or frustrated or agitated or annoyed or having dislike, if you're noticing that starting to arise, cut that off, let it go, redirect the mind. Don't allow the mind to stay wired in that way. Don't allow the mind to keep going down this path of bitterness and hostility and animosity because that ends with broken relationships. Get out your machete and start forging this new path. Because as long as you keep pushing people aside, as long as you're bitter and harsh and hostile with people, or you're putting your expectations on people, trying to control them to do things your way, you'll keep having difficulties in your relationship. But when you can get to this loving kindness where you're practicing more and more loving kindness and that's what you're putting out in the world, then that's what will come back to you. That's why mom started being more loving and kind to me because I was loving and kind with her. And I did the same thing with my wife where I needed to be loving and kind with her. And then she started transforming her mind and started being loving and kind with me. And you can get to the point where all your relationships are completely peaceful and joyful, loving and kind. You don't have any bitterness or animosity or hostility in any of your relationships whatsoever. But that's gonna mean that you need to do some work. And these are the tools that are gonna help you. So this is the learning part. And you can reflect on the things that I'm sharing, but then you're gonna need to 
move this into practice so you can actually see the real results. And remember, as you're wearing this away, you're not going to know how much you're wearing away each day, but when it's completely gone, you'll know that because it'll be six months, one year, two years, and you haven't been angry or bitter or harsh with that particular person. And then you just expand that wider and wider and wider. There's this second quality that is healthy for the mind to cultivate, which is called compassion. Compassion is the concern for the misfortune of others. This is remedying indifference, worry, and anxiety. Because when the mind lacks compassion, what it's going to do is it's going to have this indifference towards others. When you see people experiencing misfortune, you'll just be like, ah, so what? Who cares? That's them. That's not me. Maybe uh, that's their karma. That's their decisions. Who cares? That's the indifference. That's one side of the spectrum. The other side that the mind will sometimes have is worry or anxiety. When you see that people are experiencing misfortune, you might have worry or anxiety where you really want people to have certain fortunate things happen to them. You really want the world to be peaceful. You really want people to be happy. You really want everybody to have food. You have expectation for everybody to have medical care or to have clothes or you want them to have a, a dwelling or a residence. So what we're talking about here is craving, desire, attachment, a longing, a yearning. If you're wanting it really badly, when you see situations where people don't have it, you might be worried or have anxiety. But then on the other side of this, if you have indifference and you could care less what happens to people, whether they have food or shelter or clothing, you could care less. On either side of that, your mind is not peaceful. Your mind is not joyful. You're not practicing in a wholesome way. So what compassion is doing for you is helping you to bring your mind to the middle where you can practice having concern for the misfortune of others, where you understand that other people are experiencing misfortune and you have concern for them. And in some cases, you might be able to help them. In other cases, you may not be able to. That's impermanence. But if you have a craving to help everybody in the world and you want everybody to be experiencing certain things, that's where the worry and anxiety will come in. Part of practicing compassion is to understand that, yes, you would like to cultivate this concern for the misfortune of others, but also you need to have the understanding that any misfortune that anybody is experiencing, it is the results of their decisions. So therefore, because it's the results of their decisions, in order for them to get out of that misfortune, they're going to have to make decisions to get out of that misfortune. And that means they're going to need to cultivate wisdom. So it's not possible for you to rush into people's life, make a whole bunch of decisions for them and get them out of their misfortune that individual is going to need to cultivate wisdom in order to make wise decisions and produce wholesome results in their life because you are not permanent in their life. You're only temporary in their life. So when you're not around, if they're making a bunch of unwise decisions, they're going to end up right back in the same problems again. So while you cultivate this concern for the misfortune of others, it's important to have the understanding that any misfortune that an individual is experiencing is a result of their decisions. That's their gamma. But that means that we can still practice things like generosity where we can maybe provide some food or water or clothing or other things to support those individuals. But if that's all we ever do or that's all those people ever do is receive our generosity, they're not going to ultimately dig themselves out of this misfortune. They need to actually cultivate wisdom and start making wiser decisions so that they can stand on their own two feet. 
when somebody's dependent on you and they can't stand on their own two feet, this means they're attached to you. They can only eat if you give them food. But what would be sustaining for this individual, what would be helping them to get out of their misfortune is to cultivate wisdom of how they can stand on their own two feet and acquire these resources for themselves because you're not permanent in their life. You are impermanent. So part of practicing this concern for the misfortune and bringing your mind in the middle where you can be compassionate, where you're not worried and having anxiety that people are lacking certain resources, but also you're not indifferent, is to understand that any misfortune that an individual is experiencing is a result of their decisions. Where you can help, you can assist, but understand that you're not gonna be able to do that permanently because of the universal truth of impermanence. And you're not interested in even attempting to do it permanently because then that person's gonna get attached to you. And now they're going to be so dependent on you that when you're not around, they're not gonna be able to sustain their life. So these qualities of indifference and worry and anxiety can all be remedied through developing compassion in the mind where you have concern for the misfortune of others. And the way that you cultivate this is in the same way that we talked about with loving kindness, that with your mindfulness or your awareness of mind, wherever you see these unwholesome qualities of indifference, worry or anxiety arising, you notice that with your mindfulness or your awareness of mind and then you apply right effort where you have the initiative the motivation to be able to cut that off and let go of those unwholesome qualities so you're going to need to cut off and let go eliminating and abandoning the unwholesome qualities and you're going to need to apply the right effort to cultivate the wholesome quality of compassion so this is again where you can see your mind almost like a doctor, where you see these symptoms of indifference, worry, and anxiety coming into the mind based on people's misfortune, then you can bring in the wholesome quality of compassion. You'd like to cut off those unwholesome qualities and bring in the wholesome of compassion. And this is where breathing mindfulness meditation is a proactive tool or technique that you can be practicing regularly to make it easier and easier for you to cut these things off, to cut off and let go of the unwholesome qualities. When you're practicing loving kindness meditation and you're practicing loving kindness in daily life, this tends to create more compassion in the mind, but there's also this compassion that you need to understand individually from loving kindness meditation. So you'll notice that as you're practicing loving kindness meditation and you're practicing through your intention, speech, and actions to have more loving kindness, that compassion kind of naturally arises, but you need to be aware of the symptoms of indifference, worry, and anxiety so that whenever you see those arise, you can cut them off, let them go, and bring in the concern for the misfortune of others, which is the compassion. So I'm gonna pause here and see what questions you guys might have related to anything that I've shared so far. You can ask your question by putting that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, and I'll see that in the comment section. Or in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. Biplob, I see you rose your hand. If you'd like to ask your question, you can go ahead, sir. Thank you, teacher. Uh, sir, my question is, how can one cultivate loving kindness uh, to unwholesome persons like uh, killer or cheater uh, and others who speak unwholesome way? Okay. It is not difficult to... Sure. So 
you're going to need to understand and eliminate the craving of wanting other people to be a certain way. So if somebody's hostile or bitter or they're hateful towards you, oftentimes in those situations, it's best to just walk away. That's the best thing to do. Just ignore it and just walk away because you're not going to solve that person's anger or hostility or bitterness by saying something to them. If you go back to right speech, where you learn the five factors of well-spoken speech, the Buddha teaches you through the natural law of gamma that the very first factor of having the five factors of well-spoken speech is to speak at the proper time. When somebody else's mind is angered and bitter and hostile and harsh, it's not the right time to talk. It doesn't matter what you say, you're not gonna be able to get through to that person. You can't stop them from being angry because you're not the one who's causing their anger. So there's nothing you can do to stop them from being angry. So oftentimes the best thing to do is just walk away. And now don't cling to this experience. Don't hold on to this experience so that the next time you see them, you're bitter and harsh and hostile to them. Instead, you just let it go. You just realize this is their craving. This is their anger. This is their ignorance. It has nothing to do with you. They're causing all of this themselves and you're just going to go away and give them the space to be able to solve and let go of their anger. And then you see them a few hours later, a few days later, a few weeks later, you just smile and say, hello, how are you? And you be loving and kind. Or if this person is so bitter and so hostile, you might choose to no longer have a relationship with this person. But if you're experiencing painful feelings as a result of somebody being bitter and harsh and hostile, those painful feelings are being caused by your own cravings, your own desires, your own attachments, your own wants. It's not the other person that's causing that. So you're not going to solve any problems by allowing your own mind to be angry and bitter and harsh. That's just going to keep the problems going. So you can just choose to move on. You can choose to ignore it. And then if you happen to see that person again, just smile, say hello. And you need to decide through discernment, wise decision-making, whether or not you're going to have a long-term relationship with this person or not. But just be clear that any painful feelings that you experience, it's a result of your cravings, desires, attachments, not what the other person is saying. Okay. Pleased to help you, Biplab. Thank you. All right, let me see if we have any questions on Facebook or YouTube. Okay, I'm not seeing any other questions anywhere. So let me move on to the next two qualities to understand what they are and then what they're antidoting and how to cultivate them. Here I'm gonna teach you about sympathetic joy and equanimity. Sympathetic joy is joy for others' success even if you did not contribute to it. This is going to antidote envy, jealousy, and pride as well. Let me talk first about envy and jealousy. Where this is coming in is this is from your own cravings, desires, attachments. If you have a certain craving or a certain longing or a certain yearning of wanting something or expecting something, then you can experience this jealousy or envy arising. So for example, say you're in a work environment and a new position opens up at work and you apply for this new position and maybe three or four or five other people apply for this position as well. And then maybe a few weeks go by, you guys have done interviews, you've, you've done what you needed to do to apply for this new position. And now maybe somebody comes by your desk at work 
and says, hey, by the way, I got that new promotion. I got the new job. And right away, you notice this jealousy arising or this envy arising. Maybe in the past, you would say something bitter and harsh, or maybe you would look at them with a strong face or something like this, and it can damage your relationship. But what you would like to do is you would like to now start practicing this sympathetic joy. Because again, if you go down this path of envy and jealousy, it's going to end with broken relationships and difficulties and problems in your life. So you would like to arise this sympathetic joy in that situation where you have joy for other success even if you didn't contribute to it. Even if that job was the perfect job, it was so great, it would have been so wonderful for you, you didn't get the job, and that's okay. If you have a craving, desire, attachment for this job, you'll get angry or frustrated or sad when you don't get it. Or you might notice this jealousy or envy when somebody else ends up getting this particular job. So in that situation where somebody's coming to talk to you and let you know that they're being promoted and you realize that you're not, you might notice some jealousy arising, but what you would like to do is just put together as much sympathetic joy as you can. Remember, you're getting out your machete and you're going down this new path. Just like with loving kindness, you're trying to rewire the mind to no longer have these conditioned feelings of envy and jealousy. So now you can go down this new path, but it's gonna be challenging. When you first start practicing this, maybe all you can do is smile and say congratulations. And maybe that's all you can do because inside you really have a lot of jealousy. But each time you go down this new path and you get your machete out, it'll get easier and easier. That maybe somebody gets a new house or a new car or maybe they have some other windfall where they're having something very successful happen to them. Or maybe they're going on a holiday. Maybe you've always been interested in going in this one particular place. Maybe you've always been interested to go to Brazil or Colombia or Chile or some other place like this. And now you hear these people are going to those places. And now you realize like, oh my goodness, all this jealousy and envy is starting to arise. Instead, start putting together this sympathetic joy where you have joy for their success. Or you hear they have a new house or a new car or something else. You can say to them things like, oh, congratulations, that'll be really great for you and your family. I'm very pleased for you guys, right? Or that's very joyful that you guys are being able to experience that. And even though you don't feel it 100% inside the mind, if you can just start walking down that path and start getting out your machete and start breaking through some of those stickers and bushes, over time, that new path will get worn out and it'll be easier and easier to go down that path. So put together whatever amount of sympathetic joy that you can to arise this in the mind and start rewiring the mind so the mind doesn't stay wired with this envy and jealousy anymore. And then this pride can also come into the mind too, where maybe you're teaching somebody something or something and you really want them to be successful. Or maybe somebody is successful and you didn't actually help them, but they're successful on their own and you notice a certain amount of pride in the mind. This sympathetic joy can actually help to antidote that as well. So this is one of the healthy mental states that you're going to need to cultivate in the mind. And you do it in the same way with right mindfulness and right effort. That wherever you notice with your awareness of mind, any bodily sensations associated with envy, jealousy, or pride, you cut that off and let it go. And you bring in this sympathetic joy, this healthy mental state, this quality of mind that you can now cultivate. That this pride has partly to do with your conceit. There's this quality of mind 
that we call conceit. It's a fetter, it's a taint, it's a pollution or a defilement. And you're going to need to eliminate that. We're going to be talking about that in two weeks from now when we explore chapter 16. But here, this sympathetic joy will also help to eliminate some of that pride where you want to take credit for things and you want to be in the limelight. You want everybody to see how successful you are. But when other people are successful, maybe you have this jealousy. So this sympathetic joy will help you to eliminate your pride where you don't have to go around being boastful and have your chest out for other people to be able to see how successful you are, that you can have joy in other people's success, not only in your own success. Then there's equanimity. Equanimity is calmness and composure, evenness of temper, especially in difficult situations. That's one part of equanimity. Then there's this other part where you're treating everyone impartially. I'm going to talk to you about these two different parts of equanimity and help you to understand how to apply it and what it antidotes. This first part where there's calmness, composure, evenness of temper, especially in difficult situations, this is going to help you eliminate restlessness, worry, anxiety, and an overactive mind. Because when you have difficult situations happen, if you have craving, desire, attachment in the mind, your mind will be all shaken up and you'll have difficulties to make wise decisions that are producing wholesome results. This path to enlightenment, in order to get to the enlightened mental state where you've extinguished all your unwise decisions and you've extinguished the results of your unwise decisions coming back, you're going to need to get to the point where you're always making wise decisions. And in order to do that, you're going to need calmness and composure in the mind. Because when you have calmness in the mind, you can then have mindfulness or awareness of mind. When you have awareness of mind or mindfulness, you can then have concentration, which is focus or clarity of mind. And when you have clarity of mind, you can then access your wisdom, making wise decisions and now experiencing wholesome results. But when your mind is uncalm and shaken up, you don't have mindfulness or awareness of mind. You don't have focus and concentration and that clarity of mind. And you're not going to be able to access your wisdom and make wise decisions. For example, say you get a phone call that your mom has been in a horrible traffic accident, that her car has gotten into an accident and now she's in an ambulance on her way to the hospital. Well, if you get that phone call and you allow your mind to get all shaken up, you might run out of the house and on your way to the hospital, you might get into an accident yourself because your mind's so shaken up, you're trying to hurry up and get to the hospital due to this attachment, this craving and longing yearning that you want your mom to be permanently healthy, not realizing that she's sometimes going to experience situations where the body is unhealthy. So if you bolt across town in order to get to the hospital, you could get in an accident yourself. But at the very least, when you show up to the hospital, when you talk to the doctors and nurses, your mind's going to actually be shaken up and it's going to be very hard for you to take in information about what's going on with your mom. And now you're going to have difficulties getting to wisdom to make wise decisions that will actually help her. So if you can maintain your calmness and composure in difficult situations, you can have this equanimity. Now in this situation, you can have mindfulness, you can have concentration, and you can access your wisdom and make wise decisions that's going to actually help her. So in other situations too, like say you're, you have children and they come home with a report card that have grades that you would rather them not have. Don't allow your mind to be shaken up by that. You're going to make unwise decisions that produce unwholesome results. Or any other difficult situation that you find yourself in, 
maintain your calmness and composure. So whenever you experience a difficult situation, there should almost be like a light switch in your mind or a trigger in your mind that instead of triggering the restlessness, worry, anxiety, and overactive mind, that you trigger this equanimity. And right away you understand calmness, composure, evenness of temper. And you might need to talk to yourself a little bit. You might need to take some deep breaths and calm the mind down and realize that that's what you need to do and that's what you need to practice. Eventually, you'll get to the point where you won't have cravings, desires, attachments in the mind. And no matter what's happening in your life, you'll be able to maintain your calmness and composure. But on the way to that, as you're making your way to it, you would like to be sure that you're maybe doing these little things where you might need to talk to yourself a little bit. You might need to take some deep breaths and train the mind to be calm and composed. And over time, you'll have fully developed this calmness, composure, evenness of temper. No matter what the situation is, no matter how difficult it is, you can maintain your calmness and composure. And therefore, you'll be able to continually make wise decisions that then produce wholesome results. This second part of equanimity is treating everyone impartially. This is where you treat everybody fairly, where what the mind tends to do in the unenlightened state is it has a certain amount of conceit or arrogance or pride or boastfulness. This is the ego where the mind puts yourself above people or you put yourself below people. And you maybe talk down to people you think are below you and you talk up to people who you think are above you and your mind's shaken up and it's uncalm. And your mind has to constantly switch back and forth and figure out, is this person below me, which means I need to talk to them in this way? Or is this person above me, which means I need to talk to them in this way? And this causes a lot of difficulties in the mind. But what you would like to do is just get to one practice where you're just practicing the same way with everybody. You're treating everyone fairly and equally. You can practice right intention, right speech, right action, and all these other qualities and all these other tools and techniques and understanding the wisdom of the path to enlightenment. You can just function the same way with everybody. You're, you're going to have a unique personality and a unique characteristics at different times. But in terms of how you speak, in terms of right speech and right action, you just treat everybody equally. So as long as you're putting people above you or below you, then now you're going to have difficulties in your relationships. So while other people might consider themselves above you, or they might consider people below you, or other people might consider certain jobs or occupations above you or below you, it's important that your mind doesn't do that, that you look at everybody as equal. And this will help you to cultivate better relationships. It'll help you to eliminate arrogance and ego. Because when you have arrogance and ego, people are going to tend to push you aside. They're going to tend to reject you. And this isn't going to be helpful in your life. You would like to live harmoniously with all beings. So if you cultivate treating everyone equally and impartially, you'll be able to now have more harmonious relationships. This is also like if you're doing certain things where maybe you're giving out gifts or you're practicing generosity in the workplace, you would like to treat everyone equally. I had this second grade teacher that I would sometimes show up to class chewing bubble gum and she would make me spit out the bubble gum and I would ask her why. And she said, well, you're the only one chewing bubble gum. If you're going to have bubble gum, you need to bring it for everybody in the class and then I'll let you chew bubble gum. So she told me this a few times and I had to spit out my gum. So eventually I got to the point where I was like, all right, I'm going to bring in gum for everybody. So in second grade, I went out and got a whole bunch of gum and I brought gum for everybody. And she was true to her word and she let everybody chew gum because I brought gum for everybody. 
Whereas if you just brought gum for one person or two people, the other people can get jealous and envious and now you have broken relationships. Or if you're bringing milkshakes or donuts into your office or bagels and you only get some for two or three people and you've left four or five or six people out of your generosity, then you're not treating everyone impartially and everybody fairly and now you can find relationships are really strained because of other people's cravings. Now they can get jealous. Of course, they're causing their own jealousy, but they don't understand that. So one of the things that the teachings of the Buddha are doing for you is teaching you how to interact with unenlightened beings so that you can practice in such a way that protects your mind and protects your relationships, knowing that other people are going to have cravings, desires, attachments. If you only gave a bagel to two or three people at your office, then the other people are going to potentially have craving and now they're going to get jealous and now you have difficulties in your relationships. So not only does treating everyone impartially help you eliminate arrogance and ego where you're not putting people above you and below you, but it also helps you to have harmonious relationships with others because you're now treating everyone equally and fairly. Like if you have multiple kids, multiple children, you would like to treat them equally rather than treating one special and one another way or two or three of them another way. You would like to treat everybody equally in your life. In the same way that you cultivate this is the same way that you cultivate all the others where you look at the mind with right mindfulness. You practice that mindfulness or awareness of mind from the moment that you wake up all day long and as you're going to sleep at night, you practice this awareness of the mind, that you're aware anytime this restlessness, worry, anxiety, overactive mind comes up, then you right away, you know, bring in the equanimity. Or if you're noticing this arrogance or ego, or you're not treating people fairly and impartially, maybe you're putting yourself above people or below people, or you're wanting to only buy a gift for one person perhaps, then you can bring in this equanimity. So you use right mindfulness to watch over the mind and observe the mind throughout all your waking hours. And then you apply right effort to eliminate these unwholesome qualities and bring in the wholesome quality of equanimity in this case. So let me see what questions you guys have here. You can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Or in Zoom, you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions that you like. Looks like Francis has his hand up. If you'd like to go ahead, sir, you're welcome to ask your question. Yeah, I have a question uh, <clears throat> regarding compassion. Um, in a place where I stay, there are a lot of these uh, unfortunate people that are either the handicap and all that, or sit on the road begging for food and money. Um, Sometimes when I encounter these people, I have very sadness in my in my heart. I say that, oh my God, how come they're in this state? Um, I in my heart, I just, just wish for them to be well and happy and safe. Sometimes I do that. I, I sometimes I give them uh, money and generosity. So um, I'm not sure what am I doing this. Is it, is it, is it something uh, in accordance to this journey thing? Uh, I feel on one hand that I have this uh, sadness towards these people. On the other hand, I just want to wish them well. So uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Yes. The sadness is coming in because of the craving desire attachment. It's not coming in because of the compassion. The reason why that's coming in is because the mind's craving. It's not in the middle. It doesn't have this compassion. So 
You can practice generosity in these situations, that's fine, but you need to eliminate your craving, desire, attachment that everybody needs to be a certain way. Understanding and permanence that you live in a world where some people have resources and some people don't. And it would be wonderful if everybody had resources, but that would be a goal, objective, or interest, or aspiration. You'd like to maintain this aspiration where it'd be wonderful if everybody had resources, but you understand that you're only one person in the world and you can't provide resources to the entire world. Each individual person needs to decide for themselves to cultivate the wisdom and ability to be able to have resources. So if you're noticing any sadness, that's because the mind is not in the middle. You're not actually practicing 100% compassion. You can actually have craving, desire, attachment, you know, that there's compassion there that is polluted by craving, desire, attachment. So if your compassion is polluted with craving, desire, attachment, where you're longing and yearning for everyone to be fortunate, then the mind's not in the middle and you'll experience that sadness or frustration when you see those kinds of things. So what you'd like to do is let go of that craving, desire, attachment and bring the mind more to the middle where sometimes you can help people and sometimes you don't. You might need to go through a period of time where you regularly don't help people. Like right now, if you're practicing generosity in some other areas and you know that you have a, a decent practice of generosity developed, well, now you need to eliminate this craving of people always being well, and you need to bring the mind more to the middle with your compassion. So you might need to go several weeks or a few months where you see these people and you don't practice generosity with them. Not because you don't like them, not because you're not compassionate, not because you're not a generous person and you're not interested in practicing generosity, but you need to practice in this way in order to eliminate the craving, desire, attachment to everybody being well. So now if you go a few weeks or a few months where that particular group of people you're not practicing generosity with and you realize you've eliminated your craving, that you're no longer sad when you see them, now you might decide to start bringing in the generosity again and start practicing generosity with those people again. But you know in that situation that you've gone two months, three months, six months, and you don't see any sadness when you're around them anymore. So you know that you've eliminated your craving. So now you might decide to bring in some generosity in that situation. So you might need to kind of let go of the generosity with this particular group of people for a little bit in order to more fully cultivate the compassion and let go of any craving, desire, attachment that's polluting your compassion. Okay, I understand. So um, let's say if I continue to do the generosity, if I meet these people by giving them some money, and that's it, just, just walk away and uh, you know, I've, I've done my part to, to help them. Um, that's it, and I have no other thoughts about it. So that, that also can, isn't it? Yeah, that's ultimately what you would like to get to, that prior to providing any generosity, that your mind is joyful. While you're giving, your mind is calm and confident. And then after you give, your mind is still joyful. Because sometimes after you give, you might be remorseful or you might have that sadness come in. And that means the mind's not in the middle. So you would like to prepare the mind that you can be joyful before giving, you can be joyful after giving, and then while you're actually giving, your mind can be calm and confident. And that's ultimately bringing the mind to the middle as you're practicing your generosity. Good enough, Tim. I have one more question uh, to ask you. Um, lately, I've been uh, having a lot of affinity towards this uh, 
these four mental states plus also generosity and um, true love. I believe that when I practice this, I dial in all this into my life in a daily practice. Uh, I, I feel that uh, it is one of the ways to overcome some of the factors. And uh, I, one of the factors that I have, or two of them actually, I've been able to thought of uh, slowly minimizing it is the hatred, illness, uh, or the ill will uh, that I have with my mom, and also the conceit of jealousy and uh, uh, thinking I'm better than everybody else um, because of, of this practice. So it is something that is, uh, 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 how shall I say, it is something that is the, the right thing to do, to think about. Yes, those two fetters that you're talking about, which is ill will and conceit, you're going to need to eliminate those. And by the time you go th through and complete this group learning program, you will have learned at least one time through over the seven months the various tools and techniques that you need for this. But then it's a matter of, of doing it on a consistent, ongoing basis to really transform the mind. And some people like to do the group learning program more than one time because it takes time to really absorb what you're learning and then implement it in your practice. But you're going to need to eliminate all the fetters, including the ill will and conceit. So if you're working in that direction, perfect. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. Let's see. We have a question here on Facebook from Mayu Lee. She says, I worry about everyone's well-being where I get anxiety. Can I also use loving kindness meditation for myself to help with that, although I don't have ill will towards myself? You're going to be needing to do loving kindness meditation and including yourself in order to eliminate anger, hatred and ill will. So if you're doing that and it's also helping you in this situation too, wonderful. You're going to be doing it regardless. But typically when you're looking to eliminate any kind of anxiety, that is being caused by craving, desire, attachment. It's not being caused by anger, hatred, and a will. It's being caused by a craving, desire, attachment. So when anxiety is arising, it's just like all of these other discontent feelings. You would like to cut it off and let it go. And if your anxiety is arising as a result of you're having a craving for people to be fortunate, you need to eliminate the cravings, desires, attachments, and then you need to bring in the compassion where you bring your mind to a concern rather than being worried or anxious about other people uh, not having certain things or having misfortune. Let's see. Looks like YouTube doesn't have any questions there. So I have one other thing to share with you guys that isn't one of the Brahma Viharas, but I included it in this chapter 14 because it's so important as a healthy mental state that I share it here in this chapter 14 in the book and I share it here in the class as well because generosity is a healthy mental state. It's not one of the Brahma Viharas, but it's absolutely a healthy mental state that you're going to need to cultivate in order to get to enlightenment. Without generosity, you wouldn't be able to actually get to enlightenment because the mind would be selfish and you'd be holding on to things very tightly. So generosity is the readiness and taking the action to frequently give something more than is strictly required in any given situation, such as your time, effort, energy, your financial support, your resources, things like this. It's the giving and sharing. This is going to help you to train your mind to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. That's an unwholesome quality that you're going to need to eliminate. And we talked about generosity back in chapter 10, but it's also here 
in this chapter as well because you need to practice generosity with multiple people. Back in chapter 10, we talked about generosity, practicing it with multiple people, but we also practice it in direction towards supporting the continuation of the teachings of the Buddha, which is called merit. But it's important to understand that your generosity, yes, it's important to practice to develop merit, but you're going to need to practice generosity in all directions. And you need to do that from the middle way as well. And there's multiple things that you can be doing in order to practice generosity. But this should be a daily practice where you're practicing the giving and sharing of more than is strictly required, such as your time, effort, energy, financial support, and resources without any expectation of anything in return. Oftentimes, I suggest to people to do simple things when they first get started, like holding the door. Like if you're walking into a store and you notice that somebody's behind you, you could hold the door for them. But remember, you need to be careful to practice generosity without any expectation of anything in return. Because if you're standing there holding the door with the expectation that somebody's going to say thank you, then when they don't say thank you, you'll be frustrated and you'll be angry and you'll be annoyed. Not everybody's going to say thank you to you because of impermanence. Some people will say thank you and some people won't. But if you have a craving, if you have a desire, if you have a want or an expectation that everybody's going to say thank you as you're holding the door and practicing this generosity, you'll get frustrated. So when you're practicing generosity, it's with no expectations whatsoever. Just understand that you're practicing it in order to enhance your mind. That's the reason why you're practicing generosity but you don't have any expectation of anything occurring, but you're learning to give and share. This is gonna to help to eliminate your cravings, your desires, your attachments, any selfishness or selfish desires that are in the mind. And the same thing is you use your mindfulness that where you see that the mind's being selfish, that you train your mind by applying right effort to cut that off and let it go and cultivate this quality of generosity. Oftentimes when we're children, we're taught to give and share, like our toys or our food or things like this. But we're not really taught why, but we're taught to give and share. And then our parents might kind of incentivize us to do that and guide us to do that as we're growing up. But then as we get older and we're not around those same influences anymore, sometimes the mind with craving can become very selfish. And you might find it's very difficult for you to share with other people. But as you do, you will notice more improvement to the condition of the mind because your cravings, desires, attachments will more easily let go. You'll be able to get this unwholesome quality of craving, desire, attachment out of the mind. There's a certain teaching from the Buddha where he teaches about generosity and it's very impactful. So I typically will share this whenever I'm teaching about generosity. So I'll read this to you and then I'll help you to reflect on it for a deeper understanding. So here the Buddha says, monks, if beings knew as I know, the results of giving and sharing, they would not eat without having given, nor would the stain of selfishness obsess them and take root in their minds. Even if it were their last bite, their last mouthful, they would not eat without having shared it, if there were someone to share it with. But because beings do not know, as I know, the results of giving and sharing, they eat without having given, and the stain of selfishness obsesses them and takes root in their minds. What the Buddha is talking about here, where he says, if beings knew as I know the results of giving and sharing, the results that he's talking about is the enlightened mind. 
If you knew how peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy the enlightened mind is, if you understood that you'd have focus, concentration, clarity of mind, deep memory, if you understood that you have this blossoming of your personal professional relationships, you're not even in a bad mood anymore, and you understood that it's generosity, which is one of the catalysts or one of the tools and techniques that's going to help you to get to that permanent mental state where you're no longer experiencing discontentedness. What the Buddha is saying is if you understood the qualities of the enlightened mind and what that means for you on an ongoing basis for the rest of this life, you would not eat without having shared it if there was someone to share it with even if it was your last bite you would still practice generosity in that situation so that's what he's describing here so right now you might have a hard time thinking about what enlightenment is like you maybe can't even fathom what enlightenment is like you may not even think it's realistic but I can assure you with 100% certainty that this mental state of enlightenment is 100% real and the teachings of the Buddha lead exactly where he said they do, to this enlightened mental state. And it's generosity that's going to help you to be able to get to that. So you're going to need to practice generosity on a daily basis as part of your practice. You can be looking for ways to practice generosity. It's not just giving money, it's sharing your time. If you see somebody drop something on the floor, you can take your time to pick it up and, and offer it to them. If you're driving in traffic, you can be letting people in in front of you without the expectation that people are going to let you in, but you're doing it just because it's the generous thing to do. Maybe you donate blood right? These are all things that don't cost any money whatsoever. If you're going out for snacks at a, a snack time or a break time at work, maybe you bring back some extra snacks for your colleagues. This is really going to help you to cultivate your generosity. And you can do this throughout your day in various ways. And it doesn't necessarily need to cost money to be able to do this. You can donate your time and effort and energy helping some charity or some nonprofit or some temple or some teachers that are sharing the teachings of the Buddha. You could be practicing generosity in that way as well. So by cultivating your mind with loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity, and generosity, these are the healthy mental states that you're going to need in order to move the mind to the enlightened mental state where you can experience that peace and joy permanently for the rest of this life. So this is everything that I have to share with you guys. Let me see if you guys have any questions. You can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Or in Zoom, you can raise your hand and ask any questions that you like. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions anywhere. So what I'm going to do is just in class by thanking all of you for joining and thank you for coming to learn and show dedication and diligence to developing your life practice because as you develop your mind more and more, you're going to experience the results of that. It's going to help you. It's going to help those close to you and it's going to help all of humanity. And I'd like to invite you to our future classes. We teach classes on Sunday, Wednesday, and Saturday. And now I'm teaching at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. on Sunday, Wednesday, and Saturday. So depending on your time zone, it may be actually Friday evening and Saturday morning or 
Saturday evening and Sunday morning that I'm actually teaching. I'm live streaming from the temple now, and I'm also live streaming from home as well. And not only am I live streaming the group learning program and the Polycanon and English study group, but starting in 2024, you're going to see me live streaming and having Zoom open for all the classes and courses and retreats that I'm teaching. So you can come in and learn through Zoom or through any of the live streams where I'm live streaming any of the courses or any of the retreats. So now that we have this equipment at the temple, I can open up to invite all of you guys in for any of the classes, courses, and retreats. As you're moving into the new year, you might be looking for ways to develop your mind, develop your life, set new goals for yourself, and improve what you're experiencing in life through all your relationships and all the various things that you're encountering on a daily basis. So by cultivating the wisdom and training your mind, you'll be able to improve your life. So next week on Sunday, I'm going to be in chapter 15, which is titled True Love, Love Without Attachment. And remember, you can get this book on our website or you can get it from Amazon or at the temple. You might decide to read this before and or after each class because that way it'll help you to further understand the teachings and soak them into the mind and then actually practice them. And remember, there's also an audiobook version too where you can listen to the audiobook and you can even read the audiobook while you're actually listening to it because the way that I've done it is it displays the book on the screen while you're actually hearing me read it as well. So that really helps with comprehension and retention of the teachings. So next week, I'm going to be teaching you this love without attachment, helping you to understand how to practice true love. Because if you have difficulties in relationships, this is because you haven't yet learned what true love is and you're having difficulties to either practice true love, so therefore you're having difficulties receiving true love, and you might even be having difficulties at identifying what true love actually is. So if you can learn and then practice true love, not only will you be able to practice it, you'll be able to receive true love and you'll be able to identify when it's actually coming back to you as well. And then on Wednesday, I'm going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation with students and then opening up to any and all questions that you guys might have related to the path to enlightenment. So thank you all for joining. Thank you all for deciding that today is a day that you would like to learn and practice the teachings of the Buddha. Perhaps we'll see you guys in one of these future classes. Have a very wonderful and lovely rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.